It's good to be back. It's good to be back. A new building but old friends. Yeah, we, um, we've done a lot of moving around in the last since we, Dixie and I got married and uh, um, God has taken us into places where um, it's, it's built our relationship together and our relationship with God. Uh, most people don't move as many times as we do in it. We've, been mo- we've moved seven times in the last five years. But everywhere we've gone, we've met so many beautiful people, like Lower Post. We, we have friends up there that we know we're going to see in heaven. And, you know, it's just so, so beautiful to, uh, to be able to reflect back in where God has taken us. Eh? And now we're in the cusp, and, uh, and uh, we're just enjoying life. And uh, we, try, we try every night to, uh, to pick up the guitar and, and sing praises to God. And uh, we... we um, we just close our eyes and play music, and God gives us the words. And a couple of months ago, we were playing, and, and this song came to us, so uh, we'll see if we can do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Jesus in a cold 
do now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Father, we're so grateful to be here today. Thank you for being with us, Lord. I don't, I don't think I've ever missed, I've ever missed Gordy and Kathleen as much as we have lately. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this man of God who has been faithful all these years. Lord, we pray for your continued strength. You're empowering, Lord, within him at all times, Lord. Jesus, thank you. You are our empowering presence, Lord. You are grace in our life. Thank you. Lord, we pray for this message, Father, that you will anoint it, that you will speak forth. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, Dixie uh, prayed us, as I said, through so many seasons of our church year, church life here and our family. And uh, My daughter calls, called her when she was growing up here, her, her Vancouver grandma. So uh, very close to our family as well. So great, so great to have you guys. It's very special. So if you're just joining us today uh, for the first time, we've been going through a series based on the book of Genesis. I think it's the first time I've taught on a series on Genesis since my arrival here in Vancouver in 1991. But we often refer to it almost every sermon, especially today's text. Today's text is almost referred to in every sermon you will ever hear. But today, I get to teach on it. Good deal. So, let's do a quick recap before we dive into today's text, which is from Genesis chapter 3. Um, we talked about how that Genesis is a book that means in the beginning. The first three words of the actual book, in the beginning, in the Hebrew, means Genesis. And it's a book about beginnings. And we've talked about how it's so important to get in on the beginning of a story or a movie or a novel or whatever, because if you don't, if you miss the beginning, then there's big gaps and holes and it doesn't make sense as you're, if you join in a, a, a movie halfway through. And this is not just any movie. It's not just any story. It's our story. It's my story. It's your story. And so... It's so important to, to get, on, get in on this beginning. And we talked about how that God is a, an artist, not a magician. That when he created the heavens and the earth, he made modeling clay. In the first Sunday of the series, we had all the generations together in here in our first Sunday after New Year's working with modeling clay as, as they were not listening to my sermon. <laughs> and they made such beautiful things. So go on, to the web, on our website to my, pod, uh, my uh, blog, and you can see some of the beautiful things. There's some at the back there as well. And uh, how that God created matter, and then he began to be the artist, and created the water. And, and a lot of the Psalms, by the way, as you read the Psalms, 
Psalm 104, beautiful depiction of God's artistry. As he, as he poured forth water and covered the seas, and then it poured down from the mountains, and he set boundaries for it, and then rivers and streams and mists and waterfalls and canyons, and just such, and then the birds and the sky and the sun and the moon, the creator made all, all that there is. And then there was this big pause in creation. It was like the triune God took a breath and all of creation said, well, what now? And then God said, let's make the crown of our creation. Let's make, let us make what this was all for. We're here. This is it. They had a consultation. They had a meeting. And human history began with a meeting. And God said, let us create humanity in our image and in our likeness. That they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the sky. Let's create humans in our image. And we talked about how that God is a social trinity. And he made human beings in community to reflect his communal nature Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then for the first time, there's this strange moment where the, the narrator does a recap. And it, it's like he, he, does a, he goes back and he says, oh, but by the way, everything was so good. This is good. That is good. God kept saying, this is good. That's good. But then all of a sudden, something wasn't good. It's not good for humanity to be alone to be isolated, to be cut off from one another. And so God, last week we looked at the creation of woman and the creation of the first human community and we come to this idyllic situation where there's perfect synergy and harmony between the creator and the creation, between God and humanity and all of the, all of the animal and plant life and it says that, that Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. It's a it's a description of perfect, open, vulnerable community. And he left them with one, only one mandate. He commanded them. What did he command them? What was the first command? Eat. You may eat of all the trees in the garden. It's all yours. The first command was not prohibition. It was permission. It was not negative. It was positive. It was not restrictive. It was open. It's all yours. Enjoy it. Except for one. Just, just that one tree in the middle of the garden. And the question is, why did there have to be any prohibition at all? As far as we know, the monkeys didn't have it. Whales didn't have it. Why did there have to be? Can you imagine a world where there's only one rule? But why one? Why did there have to be one? Free will, choice. Rubbish. It's all good. All belongs. <laughs> so, these are all good answers. But you see, 
We're not sure. It's a mystery. But I think somewhere, somehow, it has something to do with the image of God in us. Somehow it has to do with our capacity to love. And love isn't love unless you have the choice and the option not to. Right now, you and I have that choice. Every moment, every second, not just by what we say and what we do, but by what we think and how we look on one another and what we see. So the world seemed perfect. We have this paradise and community with God, and then we come to this story in chapter 3, and scholars and um, commentators tell us to a T that there's a lot missing in this narrative, and because there's a lot missing in the narrative, rather than reading through it, I thought I'd be a little bit creative and fill in the gaps. Is that all right? Yeah. Just fill in, the, fill in the blanks a little bit, and you can, you can fire me or call me a heretic, but give me, to, give me another half hour, okay? And give me my last paycheck, and then we're good. <laughs> so, I, I, I'd like to think that Genesis chapter 3, rather than being, good, being a, a, a bad news story, is incredibly good news. It's the story of the fall of humanity, created in the image of God. It seems like such a disaster, and it is, but as I was reflecting on it this week, I cannot describe to you the amount of good news I found in this. Because for me, it gives me an answer to what I call the paradox of humanity. Do you know what I mean by that? We are a paradox. We are a walking contradiction. Because on one hand, we are capable of so many amazing things, both technologically and scientifically, but also with nobility and acts of valor and courage and love as humanity. We're, we are capable of such amazing things, and yet we are assaulted every day by the, in the media by the horrible things we do to one another unimaginable things, far worse than the animals. My grandpa fought in World War I, and when he came home from World War I, he never breathed one word about his time in the, in the, in the war. He couldn't get his wife to talk about it. He couldn't get his kids to talk about it. His grandson tried to get him to talk about it. Short time after he came back from World War I, he was farming out in near Red Deer, Alberta, in the Sylvan Lake area. This couple named Wesley and Fern Lawrence were his neighbors, and they reached out to him and loved him, became neighbors to him. How many know you can be neighbors and not be neighbors? They became neighbors to him. And through the friendship that they formed with my grandpa, they invited him to church. And a short time later, he gave his life to Christ, gave his life to the Lord after World War I. He then introduced Christ to his wife and to his kids, and they in turn introduced him to their kids, and that's why me and my kids and grandkids are, are following Jesus today. 
But I think my grandpa experienced post-traumatic stress syndrome. I think that, like many people, I didn't fully understand what he'd been through until Kathleen and I started watching some documentaries on, this, on the First World War. There's a 10-series documentary that's available at Black Dog. You can probably get it online in different ways, too. I, I could only get to about disc three. I, I, we, we couldn't handle it. We could not believe, and these are nations supposedly Christian, and the things that they did to each other makes ISIS look like a Sunday school picnic. Men, women, children, whole communities slaughtered and wiped out in the, sec in the First World War. I can't get my grandpa to tell me whether he was on Vimy Ridge. I don't know. I know that's where a lot of Canadian lives were lost. But it helped me begin to understand why he couldn't say anything. And I don't know for sure, but I think somehow this story that we're going to hear today helped him find some resolution as to how in the world human beings could be like this and that there could be any hope at all was found in this chapter. So let's go to the story. The story is there's this one prohibition and Adam and Eve are enjoying a Disneyland, a universe Disneyland. I mean, it's just like every day they can go out, they can visit, they visit water waterfalls and spectacular gorges and the water sprays and rainbow colors and they come back and they talk about what they saw and every day is just a new wonder world for them. And, and it's like my grandson. You know, when you're a grandchild, grandparent, you see things about your kids you don't have, your grandkids that you don't have time to see about your kids when, you were, when they're growing. You're too busy being mom and dad to, to notice things. But when you're a grandpa, you get to see things. And so I started wheeling my grandson. He, was, he had this problem with warm in the houses. The only way we could get him to stop crying was we'd take him out and push him through the neighborhood. So I'd take him out for a little walk and he'd settle down. He'd get really happy. And we're going through the neighborhood, and I'll never forget the time he saw his first cat. Man, the look in his eyes. His eyes got this big. He leaned out of that buggy, and his, he's just like unbelievable wonder and awe at this cat in our neighborhood. And I thought how sad it is that we lose that so quickly as human beings, that sense of wonder. I was once at Lynn Canyon looking at some, some uh, flowers, and I saw the, the, uh, the, the stream behind it, and I took a quick shot, and I heard this phrase come into my head, you don't need more wonders, you need more wonder. The wonders are all around you. And that's what Adam and Eve experienced. They experienced this wonder of creation. And one day, and every day they'd go out for a venture and come back, and at 4 o'clock every day, happy hour, God would show up in the garden. And they'd go for a walk. And uh, one day Eve comes back. She says, Adam, I saw this most incredible creature. I've never seen a creature like this. So beautiful. Didn't I show it? I, I, I saw it in the garden, and God had made this garden as their home. He said, you can live here. This is, this is home. The first home was a garden, Dixie. 
And Adam said, oh, I'd love to see it. So they, they head off into the depths of the garden. And sure enough, there's this most spectacular creature that, that Adam... That, that, that they'd seen, and Adam said, oh, I remember that creature. It's called a serap. It kind of, it kind of, it can fly a little bit, and it's clever, clever thing. I named it. I remember that creature. But you're right, Eve, not as beautiful as you are, but it's beautiful. And, and, and it was standing there, and all of a sudden that creature looked at them and said, Hey, guys, how's it going? And Eve gasped. It talks. I didn't know any of the animals could talk, and Adam said, neither did I. This is really strange. Come on a little bit closer. I want to show you guys something. And Adam and Eve, they begin to move closer, and Adam says to Eve, oh, be careful. It's kind of close to the forbidden tree there. We don't want an incident here. Careful. So they get close to this beautiful creature that talks. And Eve gasps and said, How in the world can you talk? I didn't even know there were any other talking creatures. And remember, they're just new to everything. Everything's a wonder world, a surprise. And this creature says to them, Well, you're right, I'm just a measly beast saying to Eve, You're actually the empress of creation. You're the lords of creation. I'm just a beast. I'm just a simple little serap, but, but I found this tree, and I just had some of the fruit, and all of a sudden, I can talk. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And I, I got to tell you, Eve, the grass is greener. The flowers are brighter. The sky is bluer. And I feel good. And, uh, and Eve, because Eve was the one that was talking to Adam. We don't know what happened. He just, Larry Crabb calls it the silence of Adam. Adam just, he's just enjoying this conversation. It was entertaining. And, and, and he said, the, the, every, every, every fruit tree in this, in this garden is just incredible. It, it, it tastes way better, looks way better. You know, it's just too bad that the creator said you can't have any of it. That's ridiculous. Did he really say that? And he said, Eve interrupts and says, oh, no, 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 you, you got it wrong. Uh, actually, actually he, said, he said, we can have eat of the trees. We just, we just can't have this one. Ah, oh, I know what's going down. I know what's happening. Do you guys know what the universe is saying about you right now? You are the most incredible creation of God. You're so beautiful. You are so much like God that everybody's talking like you, talking about you and, and discussing you. And the creator has overplayed his hand. You're so beautiful. You're so powerful. You're so much like him. He's realizing that he kind of overplayed his hand. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to pull it back. He's trying to keep something from you now. He's over, so he's giving you this rule. Do you, do you know what I am? I'm just a little seraph. And do you know what kind of rules I got? None. Do you know what kind of rules the monkeys have? None. 
Look at you. You're the crown of creation. You're the most incredible creation that God has ever made. And he's put a rule on you. And guess what? You think there's just one? That's just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You, you talk about rules, he knows how to make rules. And he's trying to keep something from you. Because he knows that, and everybody knows, that you'd actually do a better job of ruling this thing than he would. And he's keeping something from you. He's up to no good. And don't you feel kind of, don't you feel, don't you feel a little bit embarrassed that all the animals are talking about the fact that you're the only ones that have a rule? And actually they're all talking about, you're kind of like the emperor with no clothes, you're all naked, and you're the only ones that don't know it. <laughs> I'm taking a little bit of artistic liberty here. But, you think I'm lying? That's because I'm a serpent. Let me prove it to you. The birds don't have rules. The animals don't have rules. The frogs don't have rules. They can crick all they want. Crick, crick, crick. They can do whatever they want. You're the crown of, humi- of creation, and he's humiliating you before all the creatures of the, of the universe. And he's jealous, and he thinks, and he's up to no good. He's just using you. So Eve looks at Adam, and she says, Adam, this looks amazing. Where's, where's the creator right now? If he really cared, wouldn't he be with us right now? Wouldn't he be engaged in this conversation? Look at this fruit. Look at this tree. Look at this creature. He's so beautiful. Now he's so smart. You know what, Adam? I'm kind of feeling a little bored with our relationship right now. <laughs> I think we need a little pizzazz, a little more tango, a little more salsa. I'm getting tired of the same walk every day, the same boring routine, and yes, the creator's going to drop by at 4 o'clock, and the same boring walk, boring. We need to get out more. (laughs) Mrs. Eve? (laughs) So here's what happened. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. By the way, can I just read that again? She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were both naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And I would like to offer to you that often when we hear the word sin, we think of a broken rule or we disobeyed. And it's often a word that's enshrouded with shame and, and, and oh dear, we, we blew it. But I would like to offer a definition of sin today that I think is, is more wholesome, it's more helpful. It actually shows us a way through and I thank the late Stanley Grenz for this definition, but I think he's right on. He said, sin is the disruption of community that results in the destruction of community. Sin is the disruption of community that results in the destruction of community. And notice the difference in verse 7 from the end of chapter 2 last week where we left it, where it says that they were naked and unashamed, but now they begin to hide. 
Now community is disrupted and destroyed and they begin to hide from God and they begin to hide from one another. The community is disrupted. Now, folks, a lot of people say, well, did this story really happen? Did it really happen like that? Well, the, the, the answer to that, we don't really know for sure. All I can say to you is it happens. And it happened to you and me this week. It happens to every one of us all the time. It's our story. And it goes like this. God offers us the same offering that he gave to Adam and Eve, but the, the, the tempter comes through life, through circumstances, through our own mind, our own psyche, our own story, and he says to you, the creator is not good. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look good to you. And because he doesn't look good to you, something happens to you. Because he doesn't look good to you, you start to feel deficient. You start to feel inadequate. Something goes down in your own estimation of yourself. So they go together. It's like the other day, I was, and this happens to you in your 50s, <laughs> but I was making a, an egg for breakfast and I was cracking the egg and I had the food disposal thing here and I had my bowl here for where I was going to crack my boiled egg. So I cracked it on a plate, you know, with the knife and opened it up and I'm talking to Kathleen and while I'm talking to her, I empty the egg into the food disposal. <laughs> and then I put the shells in my bowl. And when I did that, I was so mad. It reminded of, I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video where the guy has got his iPhone and he's throwing the, the, the bone for his dog. Have you seen that one? He throws the bone for his dog and the dog keeps going. He's got his iPhone and throws the bone for his dog and it's out in the water, right? And then he, his dog comes back, picks it up, and he throws the iPhone, right? <laughs> and he's got the bone. And well, I, I really related to that guy. And I got so mad at myself. I just said, you idiot, you stupid. Stupid idiot! Can't you even think? And right while I'm in the middle, I just felt like God just interrupted me and said, you're calling me that because you're in my image. It just devastated me, what I was doing. So there's a direct connection. If God doesn't look good, then you start to feel inadequate, and then you got to compensate. And those compensations come in the way of manipulation, control, where you are trying to become something that God says you already are. But the enemy has blinded your eyes to, to see it anymore. So there's a sense of inadequacy where the enemy began to shame Eve and take things into our own hands. Larry Crabb said that what happens when God doesn't look good to us, then that sense of inadequacy takes over and we begin to relate to each other instead of I love you, it's I need you. But when it's I need you, it's not a healthy I need you, it's an unhealthy I need you. I need you to come through for me and if you don't, you're in trouble. It's that kind of manipulative need and that's what Eve did to Adam is that sense of inadequacy. She then said, hey, Let's, we're in this together. I need you to come through for me. And if you don't, then I'm all alone in this. And so, scriptures say their eyes were open and they were naked. Morris Burnman wrote a book 
called Coming to Our Senses, and he says there was an, an invention in the 1500s that totally changed our psyche in the Western world. Can anybody imagine what it was? Hmm? That was invented in the 1500s, but it's not that one. There was something else that became proliferated. It was, wasn't totally invented, but it wasn't widely used. It was the mirror. And what happened with the mirror, he, said, he argues, that there was this split with ourselves. Rather than living inside of ourselves, being comfortable in our own skin, we began to live through each other's eyes. Am I attractive? Am, am I color-coordinated today? Is my waistline small enough? And so we live outside ourselves, allowing the culture and the media to define success, and we live in this constant state of dissatisfaction. We live our lives vicariously through the, the beautiful and handsome actors and models that we can't live up to with their perfect bodies, trim waistlines, glistening white teeth, and zit-free faces. We've been seduced into seeking to attain something we can never be. Whereas God says we already are everything we long to be in Him. So it takes us out of community and it causes us to create a false self. You know what false community is? A bunch of false selves not being themselves with a bunch of other false selves. Because when you can't accept yourself and you can't be yourself, then you've got to be somebody else. We take on personas that are not us. And so God comes looking and says they... they they hid from God, and they, and they hid. You know what they did? They created the first hell. C.S. Lewis says the doors to hell are not locked on the outside. They're locked on the inside. We lock ourselves in and away, hiding from God and from everybody else. It's, and so Adam, God comes and he says, Adam, but that word Adam means humanity. Human beings, where are you? Where are you? Now, God knows everything. He knows where we are. What's going on here? There's this sense of already, the shepherd. He's starting to look already. I didn't come to destroy, but to seek and to save that which was lost. Already, the shepherd is at work. Already, he knows something's wrong. But he's not saying, ah, oh, those turkeys and chucking us into the garbage bin. He's saying, I'm, where are you? He begins to look for us. He's on this quest and on this mission. And so he comes to Adam, and Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. I love uh, Richard Rohr's acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. All of a sudden, Adam begins to assume that the universe is not friendly. The universe is hostile. The, the creator is against him. And so it begins to create this defensiveness of us and them. We have to have the in and the out crowd. We have to have the others, the enemy, the Muslims, the Syrians, the gays, whatever it is. We create these others that are the threat to our well-being and our peace. And it's fear. It's lies. Richard Rohr said this, that the, the beginning of violence is fear. Fear is where violence starts. And God asked them, did you, did you eat of the tree? It wasn't to condemn them. It wasn't to put them down. It wasn't to shame them. He just wanted to free them. Rohr goes on to write about the dark side of psychology that caused us to avoid all personal responsibility. For all that I'm doing, it's my mother, my culture, my church, and my past that made me do it. And there's no healthy I living in the now. We're all victims of our inheritance in the past, which leaves us no open future. 
The biblical concept of sin has its purpose. Personal ownership, responsibility, and freedom. This is good. The language of our culture has changed from a language of responsibility back in the 60s to more about a language of rights. The aggrandized self. I have rights. I deserve. I've been hurt. I've been offended. We're happy to sue to try to get our dignity back. But you, all you do is prostitute yourself. You don't really get your dignity back when you win that lawsuit. So this sense of blaming has been with us ever since. And so God comes to Adam and he, he says, what did you do? And he says, well, it's the woman you gave me. He blamed Eve and then he blamed God. If you, if you hadn't given me that woman, then I'd be okay. So he goes to Eve and she sa- he says to her, well, what did you do? And she says, that snake, it's that serpent, it's that serap there. He did it. And all of a sudden, the serap lost his voice. He wasn't talking anymore. And so it seems it's awkward, right? Awkward, but right in the middle of it. I love this. God's saying, well, okay, we've made a mess. It's like, it's like this. We've made a mess. Okay, we have a mess here. Um, and there's going to be some consequences. The woman's going to want a partner and a friend, and she's going to have instead a lord, a guy that's going to keep trying to dominate her. There's going to be gender war, war between the sexes, war between the races, war between the cultures, war between humanity and creation, war between humanity and each other, war between humanity and themselves. We're at war with ourselves. But then he says, the first thing God speaks to is the serpent. And he says to the serpent, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. It's interesting, he says the woman. He doesn't say the man there, he says the woman. This is gender specific. And between your offspring and hers. Now that, that uh, pronoun he will crush your head. If you know Hebrew, you will know enough, and I'm not a great Hebrew scholar, but I've read enough commentators to tell us that that actually could be he or she. It's more like they will crush your head, even though you bruise their heel. Humanity will be hurt and wounded by what's happened, by what the deception you have sown, but they will crush your head. That's right. It's right on. Amen, brother. Just... I wasn't looking. (laughs) And you will strike his heel. Now, didn't Paul say to the Roman Christians, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly? So it's, it it is them. It is actually they. They will crush your head. And of course, we know that was fulfilled through, I love this, an obedient woman gave birth to an obedient man, and they crushed the serpent's head. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. So it's like, it's like this parent that comes into room and the kids have made a mess. Has that ever happened? And what do the parents do? What do they usually say? They say, you, before you get any supper, you must clean up this mess, right? But what does the father do? What does the father, mother, God do? They come, the Trinity, and they see this mess, and they go, oh, dear. This is a big mess. I tell you what. Papa's going to clean it up. Mama's going to clean it up. And guess what? 
why don't you and me, why don't we all do it together? Let's, let's clean this up together. And guess what? While we're cleaning it up together, you're going to learn some things about me, and you're going to learn some things about life that you would have never learned if there hadn't have been a mess in the first place. You're going to learn about my mercy and my grace and my redemption and my love and my compassion and my ability that no matter how great the sin or the evil or the failure or the mess or the darkness is that you've made this week, this morning, today, my love is greater than that. Is that good news? Am I in the right place? Is that good news? Remarkable. What is remarkable is they thought they would be where they would be most abandoned by God. It's where God was most with them. He said, I'll be engaged. I'll work with this because I love you. And yes, the chapter ends from them being temporarily banned from the garden with the flaming cherubim and those guarding it. But the rest of the story is about God working with humanity to get us back to that garden. And even in the Old Testament temple, the imagery in the temple that Solomon had was all of these palm leaves and cherubims. The Holy of Holy represented this garden that they had lost, that God was working. And when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And an unseen hand ripped the veil of the temple. And that barrier to the Holy of Holies was torn in half. And the way was open for you and me, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter how we failed, no matter what mess we've made, the door is open. And it's not based on how good you are or how, how you perform or anything like that. I was Sometimes I have trouble sleeping at night and I love to quote Ephesians. And I was quoting that part in Ephesians where it says, in the, in the uh, fullness of time, he will gather together everything in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted. What's the qualification? Trusted. What did we lose when the enemy lied to us about the creator? Trust. That destroyed the relationship. The primary purpose of God is to restore that trust, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, in whom after having believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. What's God looking for? Doctrinal correctness? Some kind of moral purity? What's he looking for? Faith in the Lord Jesus and love. Faith and love. Faith and love. Can we make that our goal this year? Is that what we're shooting for? Is that what we're longing for? Is, what, is that what Jesus looks like? Faith and love. Faith and love. Hmm. So, James wrote this when we, with our tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. It's interesting. The Lord Jesus, the Father. Again, there's a triune God there. 
And with, our, with, and with that same tongue, we curse human beings. God never cursed human beings. Did you, know, did you ever notice that? You look at that chapter. He didn't curse us. Cursed the serpent and he cursed the ground. But he didn't curse us. But with that tongue, we curse human beings who've been made in God's image. Curse it by our words. Curse by our attitudes. Let's pray. Hmm. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We already sang that earlier today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Change it, Lord. Change the culture. Lord, there's so much fear in this world today. So much fear based on paranoia and creating division, polarity in our world. Because we assume the universe is hostile. We're assuming that God's angry and out to get us. And he's, he's chasing us because he's mad. But he's not chasing us because he's mad. He's chasing us because he loves us. He knows that we run. We create the locks on the inside. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and fill this place and flood the atmosphere? And I pray, Lord, for those who are here today who are struggling with a sense that you don't look good. Or they, and, and or, and we know it's connected, the enemy's just created a sense of inadequacy, the sense that they're... And so we go on this quest of forever thinking that what we need is out there somewhere, recognizing the river's within, the river's within. Come, Holy Spirit, and I just pray that you would... I just pray for those here that just feel like the Garden of Eden has happened for them this week or today who just feel they're there and they're tempted to hide. May they just hear your tender voice. Where are you? I want to go for a walk. Can we go for a walk? Did you make a mess? That's okay. I, I've made provision. I got all the cleaning materials. I shed the blood, my blood. There isn't, it doesn't matter. Just come, come back to me. Come back to me. Let's do this together. Just going to invite our worship team, if you guys could come back and just do one more song and just any other words that, before we bless you all. I think um, the Lord is very powerful. And I think what Gordia said, he tried, the enemy tries to make us believe that God is not so powerful. That maybe the Tylenol is more powerful. Or Advil is more powerful. I mean, all of us have gone to the Tylenol or the Advil bottle quite regularly, right? And yet God just simply says he wants to show up and give him a chance. I believe the Lord wants to do some very deep deliverance of, uh, of these kinds of addictions, for, for us, it might, or for you, <laughs> maybe it's caffeine. We always talk about addictions when we, and we think about drugs and alcohol, but it could be caffeine, you know. And um, I've gone off caffeine, and I can sleep much better. Or it could be something else. It could be a problem with sleep. 
Gordy and I have both been experiencing that. But you know what? Why do we hide from God? And why don't we come regularly to God and allow him a chance to heal us? So that's what he wants today. He wants to honor this word. And he wants us to pray for one another. For anything that's, uh, that is a substitute or an alternative for God doing a work. Bringing healing, bringing deliverance, bringing provision. Can you think of anything that you'd like God to do for you today? There's also another real strong word, and there, there was a gentleman that was just there, and he was, God was on him so powerfully, and he just left. But when you said it's not good for a man to be alone or a woman to be alone, I just felt like God has been working in our community for years to help us come together and to love one another in vulnerability. Right? So we aren't alone. And so if you feel like you want to take a little step closer to belonging like, you know, Dixie was so incredible in our lives and art in helping us just be open about everything that we've ever been through. And then she's, she just prayed. And we've seen a lot, of, a lot of healing, a lot of deliverance because we can confess these things and have others to pray for us. So let's just, let's just not abandon God. Let's just invite God to come in and bring healing to it. any addiction, any lack so let's be really honest today. Are there addictions in your life, lives as we run back to the coffee pot? 